0: If you know Jesus, if you're walking with him, you received him by faith. You responded in faith because the, the gospel message didn't originate in you or within you. You didn't think your way to God. You didn't make your way to God. Someone proclaimed the gospel message to you and you responded in faith because it was good news to you, Right? I like to I like to draw this uh, this analogy. Obviously, uh, salvation is a gift. Uh, but for you know, me being an adult now, Christmas is way less fun. because uh, so, because not only do you do you yes you receive gifts, but you also have to give them. So it's really just a give and take now. As a kid as a kid it was way way more fun. Yeah, I obviously have the gift of generosity. No um, <laughs> sarcasm, um, but receiving now. Who has an Amazon Prime membership? I uh, love Amazon. It's a great, great company. They're going to take over the world. Uh, but Amazon has, uh, if you're a Prime member, you can get two-day shipping. And for me, I get so anxious about receiving the package in the mail. And so much so that I get the tracking code and I put it in there. And it's like, UPS, like hurry up. like well, you know, When is my package going to be here? And so I get it. And then there's like this joy of like ripping it open so much so that I can't do return packaging because I ripped it to shreds. <laughs> it's happened before. A couple times, um, and uh, it, it's like the the joy of receiving it in the moment is so rich. But then, like maybe f- five minutes later, it's like, okay, like what's the next thing I'm going to order? Right? The joy the joy fades, and, and the same is true when you open a gift as a kid. You know, you tear into it, and uh, and, and the joy of having it is like, okay, like you know, what's you, know, you you they set it aside and they're on to the next present or on to the next thing, uh, and uh, Hopefully, receiving faith in Christ, receiving the gift of salvation wasn't that way for us. Right? It's something that just makes us momentarily joyful and then we just kind of forget about it. We're on to the next thing. Actually, uh, David says this in, in Psalm 51 when he's, talking to, he's reflecting on uh, you know, the, the, the great tragedy of sin in his life. Uh, where where um, he committed adultery with, with uh, Bathsheba and his friend Jonathan and called him on it. And, and, and this was his prayer to the Lord. This is what he cried out. He said, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. So not only did you receive Christ in faith... But you also received him in joy because it was good news. Because you, at your worst, you, in your moment, in your pit of despair, could turn to a guy who said, you can't, but I did already. Your eternal destiny is set. But even more than that, you get to live the abundant life. And so for now and forevermore the whole outlook, the whole prognosis for you is completely and radically changed. That's good news. So what Paul is saying here, just as you receive that good news, just as you receive the outworking of something that didn't originate from you, just as you took something on that became your identity, continue to walk in that. Don't lose the the joy of of the and 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 don't don't hear me wrong here, okay? This doesn't mean that for every time we come into church, every time that we approach God, that we have to recreate our salvation experience. That's not what I'm saying. It's not this hyped up pep rally all the time. Joy joy is deeper than that. Joy runs much deeper than that. It's a, it's a posture. And so I think the the, the posture of receiving Christ in joy by faith is what is reflected through the rest of this text. And what what Paul is saying, just as you received him, continue to live your life in him. Continue to walk in him in that way. The next uh, next phrase that he uses is uh, uh, rooted and built up in him. Now this rooted this rooted metaphor is one of my favorites in all of Scripture, uh, because it, it it speaks to uh, God's God's ultimate intent for Israel and His Church, uh, and it also it speaks into the abiding nature of our faith, and how the, and, and how we're so dependent upon God to sustain us. Right. Uh, the, the The Greek word for this rooted is to cause to take root. Now I want to I want to to go to Isaiah sixty one, as we look at this and how it unfolds. I'll just read it off the screen. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness the prisoner. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance for our God. To comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So you can see the format of this passage in Isaiah is very similar to the two verses that we just broke down. There's, there's mourning, there's grieving, there's people in, in ashes, and, and then it says, I'm going to anoint them, I'm going to, to heal their mourning, I'm going to bring gladness and joy. I'm going to speak my favor onto them. He's prophesying the, the, the gospel message, he's, pro- he's prophesying the good news that's going to be brought. He says, and then they will be oaks of righteousness, planting done... By the Lord. So, as we think about being rooted and we use this tree analogy, uh, as Paul used here, uh, it, it connects us to the deeper story of Scripture, but it also um, it, it speaks of the nature of our saving faith and how uh, God radically transitioned our lives and totally radically changed our outlook. And then uh, it says that, that they will be called oaks of righteousness. And so, there's this security, there's this stability in, in our salvation. Um, I, I I love this analogy so much uh, and, and i 'm going to embarrass her when I say this uh, but for, for our, my proposal to, to Caroline uh, we got engaged a couple months ago um, I, I wrote her a note and uh, I found this wax seal that had a a, a huge uh, sprawling like oak tree on it and, uh, and I love that just as an image because uh, every time she gets a really sappy note from me uh, she knows that uh, this is something that I want to, to be foundational this is something that uh, I want to be rooted and bring life to our relationship um, because, as you know uh, in, in in being in, in a relationship and that close to someone that uh, sometimes there's uh, there's tension or there's um, there, there's a there 's a struggle going on but but ultimately we want to we want to stay stable and we want to stay rooted and, and the same is true of our relationship with christ that um, that that he wants us to, to to take root and and I love that that Isaiah uses the the oak tree specifically because it, it, I think about uh uh, you know going up to the to the Gulf my whole life, I think about the live oak trees with the Spanish moss on them and uh, how their roots just sprawl out almost as far as the branches do, and uh, they they grip into the sandy soil. Uh, and they withstand hurricanes, they've withstood fires, they've stood the, the test of time in the centuries. And how, how beautiful of an illustration is that of of our, our walk of faith and, and how we endure this life that, that we are rooted in and, and attached uh, and grounded by Christ. The next uh, passage I want to uh, to reference really fast is out of Jeremiah chapter 17. It says this, But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It is not fear when heat comes, and its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and never fails to bring fruit. So again, we see uh, this imagery in the Old Testament through the prophet Jeremiah. And he talks about, How the people of God are connected to the the source. They're connected to a source of water and it nourishes them. And obviously that brings up imagery from from John uh, 15 I believe when Jesus talks about abide in me. Uh, And and, and he is the one who sustains us. And so there again we have this tree analogy um, of of being connected to the source. And now, I bring up all these Old Testament passages. These are not, the the church at Colossae was not necessarily a Jewish crowd. It was comprised mostly of Gentiles from what I understand. Um, but, But they would have been familiar with these texts because uh, they would have studied from the the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, and so um, they they would have been very familiar with what Paul is talking about. In other words, so these are very biblically literate people um, who who would have latched on to this metaphor that, that Paul is drawing. Uh, connected with uh, this idea of being rooted uh, is uh, being built up, and so uh, it seems like there's a contrast there of. Of, like, almost like an agricultural metaphor and then an architectural metaphor being built up. Um, but here's how they're connected uh, the, the Greek word of built up uh, means to build upon a foundation. And so, if the rootedness is our foundation, that's what allows us to build up, right? Um, and, and this is what I love too. Uh, the, the, the phrase can, can be simplified to this make progress. Make progress. That seems that's pretty straightforward. It makes sense uh, to me at least, um, in in that. From our rootedness, we can make progress uh, as i as I make my commute to to Dawson uh, and you know drive here on, on Sunday morning as well, just the, the same uh, way that all of you come to church today. Uh, as you notice, Edgewood is undergoing a lot of um, construction projects and a lot of development and it's neat to me and I, I enjoy seeing uh, how all of the structures are built up and the progress that is made. And so I encourage you as you, as you, as you go about your daily life, as you drive somewhere, um, let, this, let this image go with you as you see things that are being built up. Think about it, as people are, are passerbys or passerbys, are going by my life, as people who know me well, can they see that I'm being built up? Can they see that I'm making progress? Right? Because a mark of a vibrant relationship with Christ is that we are making progress. Right? And and I always I didn't like it uh, you know when when people would say this to me when I was coming up through student ministry they'd say if you're not going forwards in your faith and you're going backwards it's like no I, I'm comfortable where I'm at right now that that doesn't that doesn't uh, that doesn't sit right it doesn't square up with with um, the abiding nature of living in Christ it doesn't connect with being rooted in Him because if we are then we're growing up then we're being built upon and so um, that is the that is what that uh, Paul is driving home to the church at Colossae, that progress is being made. So, the question now for this application, how are you making progress? How is it that that there is evidence in your life that you are making progress? And and this isn't a performance-based thing. This isn't achievement-oriented. This is growth-oriented. This is... uh, a a way for us to be introspective and reflect on how are we making progress? So how are you? The next analogy that we have is is strengthened in the faith. At its face value, um, we would think that, that Paul is talking about exercise here, or um, you know he's talking about uh, you know physical training, but ultimately uh, the if you if you uh, break apart the word it, it is it means to make sure to verify or establish it 's a, a legal term uh, that they used um, to to um, you know basically affixing something to set it down uh, so as we might perceive this as like a, a physical exercise analogy it, it's actually a legal one. Um, In in the book of Acts, it talks about a group of Jews. They were called the Bereans. Uh, Maybe you've heard of the Berean Study Bible. There's a reason. Uh, It said that the Bereans were more noble than the other Jews because in response to the apostles' teaching, they would go to the scripture to examine, to see if these things were so. In other words, they did their homework. Uh, they 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 went to the text and you know if the, the you know in response to the apostles teaching they went and examined to see if those things were were so and so if we are to be strengthened if we are to verify then we have to access the source again in other words read your Bible <laughs> study your Bible get to know the story of Scripture get to know the intent of the author get to know the context into which it was given. So while, while, you know, maybe no one in this room will, will be a, a biblical scholar. Maybe, you know, you don't, you don't study the ancient languages. You don't have to. There's so many resources available there for us to study it, to enrich our lives, to get to know it. Uh, and so what, what Paul is encouraging them to do, to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus, is that we must be strengthened in the faith, that we must make sure that we're accessing the source. That's also expressed in our prayer lives as well. So, usually, you kind of fall on, on either end of the spectrum. You know, most people who are, who are good about uh, studying their Bible and getting to know their Bible neglect their prayer life. Those who are, um, have a rich and vibrant prayer life usually have difficulty uh, in studying their Bible. So, if, if, if you uh, are, are okay in both of those areas, then you can just tune me out here. Um, but I want to encourage you invest in your prayer life. Be deliberate about it. Spend time doing it. It's how we are strengthened. It's how we are connected. It's how we make sure. So the next part of that phrase is, strengthen in the faith as you were taught. So the church at Colossae had been taught by uh, this guy, Epaphras, that we've talked about. Um, he, he brought the gospel to him and taught them soundly the message of Christ. Later on in Colossians, uh, Paul has encouraged them. He said in, in Colossians 3.16, he said, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. This is something that uh, coming out of the, the, the medieval times that the reformers of the church emphasized so much. Uh, that that the, the, the body of Christ, that God's people would be people taught by God. Because the teaching had fallen into the hands of man. People didn't have access to the source of scripture and it was being distorted. So the reformers said, "Here's what we need to do: we need to get Bibles in the people's hands." And so, obviously, there's the printing press. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, it was translated into uh, into the different languages of the day, and uh, people were reconnected with the source. And that's when we saw this great um, revival in the church in church life, and and this intent to get back to the way things should be. And obviously, that's still kind of unfolding in our time, as we see, you know denominations take on different lives and and, uh, and things of that nature but ultimately uh, the vision of the reformers was that we would be people taught by God so we are connected to the source so my question to you is how are you being taught Who who are you listening to one of, my, one of my professors uh, said that, uh, and, and this is a, on a disciple-making sermon, but he said, uh, we need to have a, a personal Paul and a professional Paul in our life. Uh, in, in other words, uh, he's, he's using the, the framework of Paul's relationship with Timothy through the book of Acts. And he said, uh, you know, we need to have someone in our life who, who knows us, who's connected to us, who's teaching us. So we're engaged in a small group. We're, um, you know, being poured into by someone personally. And also uh, that, that we listen to someone, uh, not not to say a Christian celebrity, but that they almost have become that in our day and age. But have a, have a pastor that you like, that you listen to on a regular basis. Maybe you download his podcast. Um, just, you know, a really practical way for us to be people who were taught. The last phrase that we have is, uh, overflowing with thankfulness. I'll read back through the passage again as we as we reflect on it. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now when uh, I think about the word uh, overflowing... It, I think about Psalm 23, verse 5. It said, my cup runs over. Or for my King James people, my cup runneth over. And that, that, Im- that image always really stressed me out. Because I think about walking up to the fountain uh, and putting my cup there and you know, right before it gets filled with Coca-Cola, all of a sudden the foam rushes up and it's going all over my hand. And uh, it's a stressful moment for me. I don't know why, but just a really traumatic experience every time my cup runs over. So (laughs) connecting with that scripture is kind of hard for me, just admittedly. Or there's like a whole other level of stress. I debated on whether I was going to say this or not, but when when you're in your house and and the toilet water's rising, you're like, oh no, 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 and the water goes all, all out over the floor, you got a mess on your hands then, yeah. So, there you go. So maybe the the idea of overflowing doesn't always bring about the most positive imagery in our mind um, but but how I would d- define this uh overflowing in the Greek means in abundance, um, so uh, more than enough," which I would translate to if we're expressing thanksgiving, it means undignified and unabashed thanks. How many of you gotten undignified in your gratitude to God lately? No, I haven't. If you remember the the, the passage of, of uh back in I think it's first or second Samuel, um this is an off the cuff reference, sorry. Uh but David is is worshiping in the garden, he thinks he's by himself, and uh someone sees him and they're like, you know, David is drunk and crazy. And he said, No, I'll get more undignified than this, uh, because he was worshiping and expressing thanksgiving to God. And he was just completely undignified. So how many of our in our lives, not maybe not outwardly, but how many of us inwardly have been that overwhelmed with thanksgiving to God? To acknowledge how much we're blessed, not just in material things, not just in uh, good health or good relationships with people, but primarily in our walk with Christ. As we read through that, that passage in Isaiah, as we talked about how we received Christ in joy, Look at where we've come in making progress. Look at how different our lives are as a result of the work of Christ in us. Both what he's done, both what he's doing now, and what he's going to do. It calls for our deliberate thanksgiving. It calls for uh, an intentional effort to be overflowing with thanksgiving to God. In abundance. And if the cup runs over analogy, sits well with you, then uh, (laughs) make that connection for me. It doesn't work as well. I like to think about David in the garden when he's undignified before the Lord, when he's expressing thanksgiving that's completely consuming and overwhelming him. So, how are you overflowing? How are you thankful? So as a recap today, we talked about being rooted and strengthened and overflowing. And that's the application of of the text here. This is what Paul is is leading us to do. And I know that this is is very atypical of a Southern Baptist sermon because there's not a a, a neat alliteration or um, some sort of play on words, an acronym. (laughs) But this comes straight from the text. And if it's good enough for the people at Colossae, it's good enough for us at Dawson. And so as you go from here, I want you, to, I want you to, to, to think, how am I doing here? Not from a performance standpoint at all, but from a growth-oriented stance. Hey, God, help me grow. So we're going to enter into a time of worship. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. But as a reflection, I want you to, to, to think about, God, how are you leading me to grow? How are you leading me to be deeper-rooted? How are you leading me to be built up? How are you strengthening me? And lastly, how can I express my thanks? As an outpouring of what God's doing inwardly. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for for how it instructs us, how it convicts us, how it leads us to to follow you more fully. Father, I pray today as we reflect um, on your message on your word Father that we would respond that it wouldn't be something that fades away quickly but it would be enduring and abiding in us and Father only you can do that it doesn't depend on us we just have to say yes we have to be open we have to be willing we have to say it's all about you in us